listener production. That's the power of positive thinking. I just thought, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this. And I and if you tell yourself something enough, then you believe it. Uh, and that's like in a negative way as well. If you tell yourself you can't do something, then you're not going to be able to do it. But I just kept saying, I can do this, I can do this. And I did. Hi, I'm Jess Rowe, and this is the Jess Rowe Big Talk Show, a podcast that skips the small talk and goes big and deep. From love to loss and everything in between, I want to show you a different side of people who seem to have it all together in these raw and honest conversations about the things that matter. I don't know about you, but in this time of social isolation, I really crave connected conversations. So I'm going to dig deep to give you a new window into the souls of the people we're curious to get to know and understand. There might be tears as well as laughter as we celebrate the real life flaws and vulnerabilities that make us human. In this episode, I speak with champion ironwoman Candace Warner, She's the powerhouse behind her family, which is made up of her three young daughters and husband, international cricketer, David Warner. I've always been blown away by her strength and tenacity. And after she wowed me with her resilience on SAS Australia, I knew I needed to chat to this Amazon. Now, when we recorded our chat, we did it during lockdown. So Candace was sitting on her bedroom floor wearing her daughter's headphones plugged into their iPad. So the audio isn't perfect, but our chat is top shelf. Candace, it is so great to be chatting with you at last. I'm a massive fan of yours. I love your strength. I love your gutsiness. Where does that come from? Oh, well, thank you for having me on. But um, very good question. I'm not too sure, to be honest. I grew up in a very working class family at Maroubra Beach in the eastern suburbs of Sydney. And my parents have always had to work really hard for what we've got um, growing up. I saw, um, you know, my father had two jobs. My mum would get up early to to provide for the family. So I think just having really good role models with my parents and seeing that things don't come easy, I think that kind of just uh, just stuck with me from a very young age. Because you were the youngest professional ironwoman. Yeah, so when I was turned 14, I was the youngest uh, athlete to ever turn professional in surf lifesaving and... I was never the the best athlete, but I think the one thing that I had on my side was that I was very tenacious. I was very determined. And if someone told me I couldn't do something, then I just took that as a challenge and I said, well, watch me. And that was the thing. We did watch you. I mean, I reckon you could give Grant Kenny a run for his money. You should be on the Nutri-Grain box. (laughs) Oh, I don't know about that. I mean, Greg Kenny's in a league of his own and he's such a legend and, and an icon of Australian sport. The one thing that I guess I did maybe was just to show people that never give up on a dream. Um, it took 10 years for me to finally have my breakthrough win on the professional circuit, but the entire time I still didn't lose focus. I wanted to be the best. I still believed that I could be there and I still woke up at quarter past four every morning with that dream and I knew it was possible. It was just a matter of when. Which which just blows my mind to have that level of focus, especially from such an early age. What about, did you ever get scared? Because I am terrified of the surf. The thought of getting 
in the waves. Like I just like stand in the shallows and sort of jump over a wave and then out I get. I mean, that big surf, did it terrify you? Uh, it did at times. Uh, there was times in my competitive career when I was really, really young and we raced at Portsea down in Victoria and the surf was absolutely massive. And these days they wouldn't hold events in those conditions. But when you've got a dream and a goal, you just do it and you just think, well, if the the older, more experienced girls are doing it, then that's what I've got to do. But these days I'm a little bit more of a chicken. I sort of I step in the water and I think, oh, as soon as the water touches my lower back, I think, oh, God, how did I used to do this? But, uh, you know, you, I think with anything there's always that uh, level of excitement but also a mix of being scared at the same time. The surf is so unpredictable and you never know what it's going to throw up. And sometimes I think you almost need to have that level of fear or perhaps it's adrenaline to get you through those sorts of situations. Yeah, you do. And I think you also feed off that. If you, as soon as you get on that start line, your the adrenaline gets pumping, your heart rate goes up and you know that it's time to race. Without that, I guess uh, it's just another race and you're not entirely ready. So you're able to channel those nerves because I was really interested in reading recently when you were commentating on the games, on the on the triathlons, that you were nervous about doing that. Why did that make you nervous? Oh, I was nervous for a few reasons. As a former athlete, you set huge expectations for yourself and you want to do the best job that you can possibly do. And I, I studied a lot in the lead up to the commentary. I wanted to make sure that I was across the sport with triathlon, it's three disciplines. You have the swimming, the bike, the run. So you need to really be across everything. And the other thing, it's the Olympic Games. And these athletes have put so much into competing. They've sacrificed so much over the last five years. And for me, it was a real honour to be able to call the race and to do them justice and to do the sacrifices that they've made and and all the hard work that not just themselves but the family have done uh, in order to get them to the Olympics is, you know, there's a little bit of pressure there. And the thing is you understand that, you understand that level of pressure but also what they've had to sacrifice, what they've had to give up. And you mentioned their family. What sort of things did your family do to help you achieve your dreams? I think family plays a huge role and a very significant role in most athletes or any anyone's career. Uh, your parents are the ones who sort of introduce you to the sport. They're the ones who, when they take you to swimming training, they're, they're up early, they're driving you, they're sleeping in the car waiting for you to finish and they do it every single morning. They don't complain. They turn up and they support you and they encourage you. Uh, they're there to wipe your tears if you don't have a good race or things don't go quite to plan. Uh, in my instance, my mother was, you know, she was everything. She was the the lady that I can find in. She was the lady who was, I guess, my nutritionist and would do all the research into what I was supposed to eat and, and when I should be having it. And, uh, you know, parents and families play a vital role in, in every athlete's career. And I suppose as well, you mentioned there the connection with your mum. You're a mum now. You've got three beautiful little girls. What sort of mum are you? Uh, that's a very good question. I would have to say that I am, I'm a fun mum, but I'm also a very strict and and regimented mum. I spend a lot of time being a single mother when David's away with the Australian cricket team. So in order for me to survive on my own, I have to, uh, I guess my girls are in a routine. So, you know, we have dinner at a certain time, they have their baths, we read, we go to bed and 
uh, although it doesn't sound like too much fun, it, it works for us and the girls respond really well to it and, and that's how I survive and, and that's the way we do it. But on the weekends I like to have a lot of fun with my girls. We're often at the beach and, I'm, you know, having races or we're paddling or swimming. I play tennis. I just try to to get my girls involved in as much as we possibly can and um, and be their best friend but also be their mother and, and guide them and uh, use my experiences, good or bad, to to, I guess, um, to help them through life. And that's the key, making it fun. But I could also imagine you being very, in terms of, you know, you say with your routine and strict, Mm. I'm a shocker. I'm so, I'm the soft touch in the house. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Would you say you're pretty much the, you know, the strict one, the bad cop? Yes. Oh, most definitely. I am. I am the bad cop. I am. I run my house like a little bit like uh, military, you know. Um, but David is the fun one. David is the one that when he comes home from tour, he's the one that throws a spinner in the works that spoils my routine. But the girls love it, and it's just what they need. You know, he's the one that will get the dog and chuck it on the bed, and he's the one who will say, "No, no, I stay out for another half an hour." Uh, he's the one that you know is doing the handstands with the girls. He's such an incredible father, and I think we have such a great balance in that way. And that's the key, isn't it? And I think you see your partner when he is a becomes a father in a whole new light. But I remember because you know my husband Petey, he used to work for sixty minutes, so he would spend mm. eight months of the year traveling. But we would always have our worst arguments just mm. before he left on a trip and then just when he would come back from a trip, I would want to put him in a hotel and say, can you just go in a hotel for a week so you can get rid of the swearing and get rid Mm. of all the nonsense and then come back when you're ready. Do you guys (laughs) find that as well? Look, we don't fight too much, but uh, whenever David gets home, it is very hard because I get my own little routine going on and he gets home and he, he just ruins all that. He thinks that he's still back in a hotel room, clothes everywhere, towel on the floor, you know, just sloppy, lazy, I guess, behaviour that men do. Um, After a few days of me, you know, giving him dirty looks or not picking his things up or after a while just saying, you know, this this is not on, um, he soon sort of snaps back into family mode and he knows what he's got to do. But we just compliment one another so well and, um, you know, as soon as he gets home, he takes over the reins of of dad. He does the cooking. He (gasps) reads the books to the girls. So He cooks. Yeah, he does. He does. Oh, but when I say cook, he barbecues. But that's all right. I reckon. Yes. If a bloke can cook and clean, to me, that's the ultimate aphrodisiac. Yes, yeah, oh, most definitely. So, you know, every night we have either chicken on the barbecue or we have sausages or lamb and, and it's amazing what you can do on that barbecue and I'm all, I'm all for it. I'm like, yeah, yeah, let's have another barbecue, go for it. <laughs> I mean, the two of you, you really are, I think, a fantastic team. You know, your husband, David, I think he's a very, he's a mesmerising person, but he's also polarising. And I heard an interview with him quite some time ago, the two of you did it together, and he had said that he wouldn't be playing cricket if it wasn't for you. Mm. Yes, uh, when you hear things like that, it does make you slightly emotional. But like you said, Jess, we do work as a team and individually we're good, but together I feel like we're great. We work hand in hand. We encourage one another. We just bring out the best in one another. And I think in order to have success and at a really high level, you need to surround yourself with good people and honest people that are going to tell you 
that, you know, sometimes things aren't great. Sometimes things aren't rosy. Sometimes you do need to pull your head in. Uh, and that's we have that relationship where we can be super honest with one another and and I think that's sometimes a secret to our success is that we know when, you know, if David's not training as much as he should, as I know that he should, I will say, come on, you're kind of slacking off. Or if David sees that I might be, you know, sometimes at home I can be a little bit short with the kids. I can be frustrated and take my anger out on them and such. Or if I'm having stress, a stressful day, I can be very um short with the kids and I guess that's my downfall but David's you know the one to to bring that to my attention and uh, I always take everything that he says on board and and vice versa so we work really well as a team and uh, together we're just super strong. I love that. That's such a beautiful way of describing your relationship because that's what I'd love to get from you, that you actually, though, you reached out to him when he was going through a pretty tough time in the UK, didn't you? And then you connected over that. So David and I grew up uh, not too far from one another, actually. So we always knew of one another but didn't really know each other. And I could see that he was going through some hard times and I actually saw, it was like a little documentary on TV and it changed my opinion dramatically of him. So I always had this opinion that he was, you know, what we see on the field is that a very, he's that aggressor, he's he's passionate. But I saw another side to him and when I, I just felt like I had to reach out to him and the rest is history. And how though did you reach out? Did you ring him? Did you slip into his no. DMs? Or I mean, what yeah. Well, basically, basically. So um, I don't even know if Instagram was around. Oh no, it was. But no, we, it was over Twitter. We followed each other on Twitter, and um, we just started chatting. And then from there, we struck up a really good conversation, and we kind of solved the world's problems together in in our own little way. And we just had this connection that you know when you just know. It's, it's right, it is, and we've pretty much, besides from him going on tour and us not being able to travel with him recently, we've pretty much been inseparable since. And it's that sense of when you do have that connection with someone, I liken it to you can almost relax, you can sort of exhale and think, mm. oh, this is what it should be. This is what a partnership, a truly good relationship and partnership is all about. Yeah, it's it is, and it's so easy. It's it's a very easy relationship. We don't. There's no stress. Where there's no both David or myself trying to be someone we're not. We can be goofballs around one another. We can um, just. I can have a really ugly day, and and like most women do, and I just still feel appreciated and and loved. And it's just. He really is a big softy, and for for David to have three daughters, and now we've got a little little doggy she's also a little girl he's just you know he, he it really he really is very very soft and um you know we, I'm very very fortunate to have a beautiful relationship and, and have a husband that loves me very much I think that's such a lovely uh idea too that he's surrounded by women isn't he a mm. lucky bloke <laughs> Yeah, well, I think he's lucky. Let's just see what happens when the girls turn into teenagers. I'm not at that stage yet, but I heard uh, it can be, um, maybe I'll get some tips from you. It is a whole new world, as the Disney song goes. (laughs) But once they're teenagers, I think girls especially get too hard a time. But it's Mm. really hard being a teenage girl. There's so much sort of pressure you're going through so many changes. And I, if anything, try to 
lighten up on my girls and get the moods. And um, But what's actually lovely is Petey, he's a beautiful dad too of his daughters and I love seeing that connection that he has with the girls and they'll go for walks and have a chat or they'll go what they call vibing in the car and Allegra will crank mm. up this appalling rap music. <laughs> <laughs> Just sounds a little bit like me. <laughs> And and they'll have a chat or they won't have a chat, but it's but each stage brings something different, different and new. What I'd like to now talk about is a particularly, I suppose it was a public and very difficult time for your family. And, mm. and my heart went out to you enormously when I remember there was vision of you guys coming back from the tour in what was it, South Africa, and you were just met by media. And I I just wanted to scoop you all up. Um, as you can understand, it's been a tough emotional time for my wife and the kids. Um, at this present time, um, you'll hear from me in a couple of days. At the moment, my priority is to get these kids in bed and rest up and let my mind be clear so I can think and talk to in a couple of days. Yeah, please. Thank, thank you, guys. Thank Thanks, you. guys. Please. Miss Warner, is it a confronting process? Yeah, well, that was a, a very, very hard... Um, time in our life it's also as parents all you want to ever do is no matter how old your kids are is to protect your kids and the comments to be made like we're using our kids as human shields we're bad parents it hurt more than anything that we went through at the time and that's the thing isn't it I reckon it's almost like as grown-ups for want of a better word although it's painful you can sort of wear the criticism but if anyone then starts taking it out or mm. on your children, it's a whole different scenario. Yes, and I'm very protective. I've always been the type, even with David, to protect anyone and, and I will be the type of person who, good or bad, I will always approach someone and try to um, put them in their place in the nicest possible way. Uh, but in that period, I kind of just had to sit back and, and cop a lot. Everyone was very quick to judge. Everyone saw images, uh, saw us coming out of the airport and wanted to jump on the bandwagon of hating the waters. And I get that people have opinions, but when there's so much hate towards uh, certain people, when you don't really know all the facts or the situation, then that's when I have a real issue with it. Oh, of course. Even you talking about it, I can feel it. There's sort of the knot in my stomach. And Mm. it was just so public. And I think that also sometimes people don't appreciate when it is played out in such a public way, the added pressure of that as well. Oh, it was a huge pressure. And at that time I was... um very early in my pregnancy, I was pregnant. No one knew that, and um, we soon after I miscarried, or David and I, we, we miscarried, and it was it was really heartbreaking. It was just I felt like one thing after another, and it takes a great deal of strength and to get through situations and times like that, and then to to bounce back and to be bigger and better from those situations. It, it takes incredible resilience which I think you have in spades. You spoke about, as a young girl, learning or getting that sort of strength and resilience through your sporting career, but also too, I think about when I'm struggling and my kids see me struggling and I've learnt over time 
ways of trying to explain to them because I've had depression in the past and I used to try and hide it. And then I realised perhaps that wasn't the right message, that I needed to show if I was sad, I was sad, but I could get through it. How did you manage, I suppose, with your kids? They're still little though, but when you were so upset, did you hide that from them or did they see it? Uh, I did hide it from them and I've been one of those people who have always struggled with showing emotion, although I've always been very close to my mum. I've never, very rarely have I showed emotion quite like that. If I was ever hurting, I would keep it to myself. If I was struggling anyway, I would keep it to myself and I now know that it's such a horrible thing to do and and you shouldn't never have to go through things like that on your own and there's people out there that are always willing to help. But as someone who has grown up with brothers in an environment and an area like Maruba, you're always told to suck things up, um, don't show emotion. So if you do that for so long, then it's very hard to pull those walls down and be vulnerable and show people that a softer side of you because it's always like, you know, suck it up, be tough, be strong. Uh, so it's taken me a lot to show a, a softer side and a, a more vulnerable side. You're still a, a very strong person if you do show emotions. And I try to, as as hard as it is for me, I still, with my kids, I try to tell them that crying is okay. Uh, they have seen me cry a few times now and, and they think it's funny. So we sort of see the lighter side in, in when I do get emotional, but it has taken me a long time to Um, feel comfortable to do that in front of people, especially my kids. Which is so understandable. I I used to think too that I had to be bulletproof and that I had to sort of wear this armour and always have everything together all the time. Mm. But then I got to my rock bottom, which was my postnatal depression, and I realised, and I hid it from everyone, but then I got to a point where I thought I cannot hide this any longer because if I do, I didn't know what would happen to me. Have you ever been in in sort of a situation like that where it's been a rock bottom for you as well? Yeah, I probably feel like I've been rock bottom quite a few times, but every time I'm there, such beautiful things come of that. And at the time you think there's no way out, but you learn so much from those places. And when you are in such a deep spot, you get to reassess your whole life and you sort of think, okay, it doesn't get any worse where do I want to go from here? Who do I want to surround myself with? What do I want to stand for? Uh, What mistakes have I made that I won't make again? And you learn so much about yourself and you grow as a person and you're you're almost better for it. Where do you learn that? I think a lot of it's from within. I think, um, uh, very good question. I don't know where you learn that. I think when you make mistakes and you survive them, you soon realise that, hey, I've been in this situation before and, look, I'm still here now and I think it's all it's just experience. If you don't live, if you don't make mistakes, you don't, you don't learn, you don't know right from wrong, you don't know the growth that you're capable of. I always say, you know, sometimes the roughest roads can lead to the most beautiful destinations and for us I feel like as a family we've never been better and never been stronger. And isn't that? remarkable when you think back to that time when everything was coming at you as a family Mm. and to where you are now. Can you quite believe that? Yeah, I can believe it Um, because I am the most positive thinker, the most positive person you could ever meet. I'm very spiritual and I know that things don't last forever and um, 
you know, it's almost like the boomerang ring effect. Whatever you put out, you get back. And throughout that whole time, just even with David's career, I was like, you know, just keep focused, keep focused, use this as motivation. If you want to be better, you will come back firing. And that's what he did. No one would have thought he was going to be playing for Australia again. No one would have thought that he would go on and, and equal Australia's highest ever record when he got, I think it was 335, I, I could be wrong there, uh, not out in Adelaide and then go on to win the Allen Border medal. Everyone's very quick to write people off, but what people don't understand is the inner strength of someone or what people are actually capable of when their backs are against the wall. And that's it, isn't it, that you don't actually realise, I think, sometimes what you are capable of until your back is against the wall because you, you're a lioness, I reckon. Mm-hmm. Candice, just in terms of your, <laughs> you are, you're an absolute lioness because you just keep on keeping on because there was another time too when I was so angry on your behalf mm. when during South Africa, when there were disgusting, horrible people throwing vile comments about you. Um, he said something to me that was quite um, vile and and vulgar and, you know, it was, it was derogatory. Um, a comment made to, about my wife. Um, you know, and it, it really triggered an emotional reaction, um, response from, from myself. And I would never expect uh, a comment that was so disgusting um, in the close proximity of myself from another player. Um, and I accept, obviously, the, the, the charges that have been laid. Um, and I regret that the way it was played out. But I'll keep continuing to stand up for my family. I am normally a meek and mild person, but I was yeah. so angry on your behalf. How on earth do you endure that and cope with that? Well, I've kind of had to live with it. So I have got used to it. Unfortunately, we live in a society where even just the other day I was going for a walk and people were calling things out. And in this day and age, I, I just, it blows my mind to think people are so narrow minded and, um, yeah, but you, you, I have learned to live with it. And uh, when I did see that in South Africa, when all I was trying to do was support my husband, go to a game of cricket and uh, cheer on the Australian team, and I had I was forced to defend myself or to almost hide because I was embarrassed. It was, you know, it was a horrible, horrible thing. And it should never have been allowed. Uh, the fact that some of the officials at the time thought it was funny and had photos with the men who were posing with masks on. Like, I just think uh, it just goes to show how far I feel we've, we've come since then and uh, that behaviour is just not tolerated. Of course it's not. And the part that also outrages me so much is that as a woman in the public eye, we endure far more than any bloke ever has to. And that's what makes me furious mm. too. We're so quick to be judged. Um, if we lose weight, we're, we're too skinny. We have an eating disorder. If we put on weight, then then we're fat and, um, you know, we're unhealthy. If we're looking tired, then, you know, something's going wrong at home. We're always, we're, you know, we're always being judged. It's not fair. It's not right. I don't know when that's going to change. I hope it's soon. But, um, yeah, it's, it's not what you sign up for, that's for sure. Of course it's not. But your resilience is, I think, something that we can all learn from and the grace that you've had to just keep on keeping on. Because another time that you wowed me was on SAS Australia. Mm. How did you do that? (laughs) I wanted you to win. I think you should have won. That was amazing. Yeah, I I really wanted to win. Um, 
just to prove to myself and it's just I love I love a challenge like that and for me, I, I do get offered different shows, whether it be, you know, you're dancing with the stars or whatever it may be, and I turn them down. But when this opportunity came up, it was just too good to be true. It was one of those things that I was just so suited for. I'm, I'm athletic. I feel like I'm mentally tough to a certain degree. Uh, but I love the challenge and I love working as a team so, yeah, it was tough. It was really, really hard. It was uh, brutal. It was cold. It was relentless. It was all those things. But I learned so much from it. And it, you realise that as humans we're so much more capable of things than we give ourselves credit for. And when you surround yourself with the right people and people that believe in you, it's incredible what you can achieve. But how did you find the sense of people who believed in you? Because there was all that shouting. And if someone shouts at me, I that's <laughs> when I just fall apart. Or, or I would want to give them the finger and basically walk away and say, do not talk to me like that. How did you close that out of your ears and all the carry on? Yeah, it was tough at first, but I just kept remembering, stay focused. Uh, this is all part of it. They're trying to break you. You can't be broken. And I just had to keep talking to myself, talking those really positive things. And I was a little disappointed how I, I guess, exited the show. I never gave up. I didn't take my number off. And that's the thing. So many incredible people were on that show that were so tough, so strong. And I felt like they had to get rid of us because no one was giving in, no one was giving up. And I just think that's so Australian and I just, I take my hat off to everyone that participated in that show or put their hat in the ring because the stuff that you don't see is just how cold it is, the, the moments of just hours of drying your clothes, the camaraderie, the hours spent in the back of vehicles, cuddling each other and telling each other that it's okay. It's, uh, it's as close to the real thing as you can get. It's just a very condensed version and, I mean, it was amazing. And I'll do it again. Really? You'd do it again? Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but that's just the competitive nature that I have. Um, I just I want to do better. I'm disappointed that I didn't win. I, I want to win. I want to get to the end. So, yeah, if I got that opportunity again, I would really relish in the fact that um, I know what to to expect to some degree. You never really know what to expect, but, yeah, I, I, would, love, I would love to do it again. Well, you won in my eyes and, and your tenacity also was something to behold. What did your girls and husband make of it? Look, I would have loved to have won, but David and the girls were so proud. Um, I, they know how hard I worked for the show. You know, I was up early, I was training, I was walking the streets with a, a backpack full of rice. Sometimes it'd be 20 kilos of rice. I would be, oh, it was crazy. I was in my boots. I was doing everything that I possibly could to prepare, but they were just super proud to see their mum. They had a laugh when I was crying. They, um, But David was just, first of all, I think he was just shocked that I, you know, I'd jump out of the chopper backwards. I think he was shocked that I was doing some of those things because I'm that person that when we go to movie world or wherever it may be, I don't want to go on roller coasters. I am the world's biggest chicken. Really? Yes, yes, really. I am um, even going on the swings down at the park. It makes my stomach turn. I am, I'm not good. <laughs> well, you definitely sort of turn that on its head with, as you say, mm. going out of the back of helicopters and things. And also, did it give you a sense of being able to show your family 
there's a whole lot more to me that, that either you don't know or that is in here? Well, that's the power of positive thinking. I just thought, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this. And I and if you tell yourself something enough, then you believe it. Uh, and that's like in a negative way as well. If you tell yourself you can't do something, then you're not going to be able to do it. But I just kept saying, I can do this, I can do this. And I did. But I think it did show my girls that I'm, you know, I'm more than just mummy who makes their lunches or, you know, drops them off to school and picks them up and does a reading that mummy is is really capable and that I'm strong and that I can do some pretty cool things. Yeah, well, you're Wonder Woman. Why don't you say you're Wonder <laughs> Woman or one of the Avengers? <laughs> it was an incredible experience and I, I, I've grown as a person since then and although it's... It's funny how it took something like that show for me to be able to feel like I could be vulnerable and to open up and to let my walls down. And it's, for me, that was the biggest gift out of everything that I got from the show. And isn't that a gift, as you say? Because I think being vulnerable is one of the strongest and bravest things that anyone can ever do. Oh, it is. And it's also one of the hardest things to do. So... Uh, I've really let my walls down and my guard down since then. I've been a lot more open. I've, I've also been a different mother. I've been um, the mother that encourages my girls to to just let it out, to if they're feeling emotion, to embrace that emotion. So um, I think I'm a better person for it. Well, Candice, thank you so much for sharing some of your story with us. Your girls are so lucky to have you as a mum and we're lucky as women and blokes to have you as a role model. Thank you so much. Oh, no, thank you very much. I really do appreciate it and um, I love to be able to share my story and, and I hope that it inspires people or if someone's having a bad day to know that, you know, everything's going to be okay. And it will be. Mwah. Thanks, beautiful. Thank you. I marvel at the focus and determination of Candace and how she's come to realise the strength that comes from being vulnerable. What a woman. Next week, I speak to singer and performer Mitch Tambo about how his Indigenous version of The Voice has been more than just another song and how his mum and grandparents taught him he could be anyone he wanted to be. It shouldn't matter, you know, what race, religion, gender, sexuality or class, you know, you're from. You should really be able to feel free to be who you truly are and and feel safe enough to just bear it all, you know, and not feel like you're going to be judged and condemned for it. The Jess Rowe Big Talk Show was presented by me, Jess Rowe. Executive producer, Nick McClure. Audio producer, Nikki Sitch. Supervising producer, Sam Kavanagh. Until next time, remember to live big. Life is just too crazy and glorious to waste time on the stuff that doesn't matter. Listener.